Hello, I'm Tommy Peeler, and this is Carefully Examining the Text. And in today's podcast, we look and we study Psalm, we look at and study Psalm 12. Psalm 12. And let me read these words from the New American Standard for the choir director upon the eight string lyre, a Psalm of David. Help, Lord. For the godly man ceases to be, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak falsehood to one another, with flattering lips, and with a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things, Who have said, with our tongues we will prevail, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Because of the devastation of the afflicted, because of the groaning of the needy. Now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace on the earth, refined seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will preserve him from this generation forever. The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. We divide this psalm into two easy parts. Verses 1 through 4 describe the wicked, and the wicked seem to be consuming those who are godly. And then, in verses 5 through 8, the Lord will preserve the poor and the afflicted. Verses 1 through 4 focus on the wicked and their mistreatment of the righteous, and verses 5 through 8 focus on the Lord and His deliverance of the righteous. Psalm 11 had asked, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Psalm 11 verse 3. In Psalm 12, it seems like the godly man is ceasing Altogether, he has looked up and suddenly all his friends have disappeared and he is surrounded by foes. The first word of the text is translated help in the New American Standard. It is translated save in the English Standard Version. It is a word generally translated save. He is calling upon God to help. He is calling upon God to cease because it is the godly man who ceases to be. Interestingly, this word for ceases in verse 1 was used in Psalm 7 in verse 9. And in Psalm 7 and verse 9, the Bible says it is the wicked, it is the evil of the wicked that ceases to be or that comes to an end. But here, it is not the evil or the wicked who is ceasing or coming to his end, but it is the godly man who is coming 
to his end. You may remember the picture in Jeremiah 5 in verses 1 and 2 as Jeremiah is told to light his lamp and go throughout the city of Jerusalem in search for one honest man, one man who does truth and righteousness and and he cannot find him. Help, O Lord, save, O Lord, for the godly man ceases to be, and the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. The term godly and faithful are used together several times in the Psalms, one of them Psalm 31 and verse 23. He is not retreating from his position, but he is begging for God's help to stand because he feels like Elijah in 1 Kings 19 verse 10 and 1 Kings 19 verse 14. Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. As he describes these wicked men in Psalm 12, you notice that their instrument of destruction is their tongue. And notice how frequently this is referred to. In verse 2, they speak falsehood. In verse 2, they use flattering lips and speak with a double heart. In verse 3, they have flattering lips and a tongue that boasts or speaks of great things. In verse 4, they say our tongues will prevail. Our lips are our own. So you notice that the tongue is their instrument of destruction. The old statement, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me have never been true. For often the wicked use the tongue as a deadly weapon to destroy anything that gets in their path. The words in verse 2, they speak falsehood to one another, are the opposite of what we're called to do. In Ephesians 4.25, as we're called to speak truth to one another. They speak falsehood to one another. And with flattering lips, the text tells us, with flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. Both verse 2 and verse 3 mention flattery. Flattery is an effort to, to catch the hearer off guard because of your compliments to him. It is an effort to manipulate him rather than to communicate with him. And too many times we're taken in by that ploy. And the text tells us they speak falsehood to one another with flattering lips and a double tongue they, they speak. And the Bible tells us, verse 3 gives us a plea that the Lord would cut off all flattering lips. The Assyrians were a violent people who were noted for cutting off the lips of those uh, who were their enemies. 
But here the plea is that God would treat these people who are doing such harm and destruction with their wicked tongue, that God would treat them the same way. But you cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks great things. Interestingly, in Daniel 7, in verse 20, In verse 25, as a persecutor arises against the people of God, he speaks great things. You see the same thing in Revelation chapter 13. In Revelation 13, in verse 5, often people use their tongues to speak of their greatness instead of God's greatness. And may that not be characteristic of those of us who seek to serve Him. And these people feel with their tongues they will prevail, that they can talk themselves out of any situation and talk their enemy into any kind of snare. They use their tongue as a snare instead of simply to share good information. And the text tells us they think with our tongues we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who will who will triumph over us? They believe they are the masters of their fate and the captains of their soul. The same idea is found in the description of the wicked in Psalm 10 when he says in verse 4, all his thoughts are, there is no God. In verse 11, they say, God has forgotten. He's hidden his face and he's not seen it. In verse 13, they thought that God will not require it. So in Psalm 10, we see this same kind of attitude that we see here in Psalm 12. They believe they can say whatever they want, and God will never call them to account that they will get away with it. But the Lord will answer in verse 5. In verse 5, because of the devastation of the affliction, because of the devastation of the afflicted, because of the groaning of the needy. Now I will arise, says the Lord, I will set him in safety, a safety for which he longs. Verse 1 describes these people on the basis of their character. They are faithful and they are godly. Verse 5 describes these people on the basis of their trouble and their affliction. They are afflicted. They are needy. So it describes their situation based on need. But the text emphasizes, there's several things that are interesting here. Even though the text has emphasized their character in verse 1, in verse 5, God does not respond to their cry on the basis of their character, but on the basis of their affliction. They are afflicted. They are needy. And God will arise and set him in safety. The word for safety 
is from the same root word, Yeshua, which is used in verse 1 in the plea for help, in the plea to save, the first word of the psalm. So the psalm begins, save, O Lord. And now the same for, the form of the same word is used in verse 5, I will set him in safety. But God will answer this cry on the basis on the basis of the fact that his people are suffering. In Exodus chapter 2 in verses 23 through 25 God had seen the affliction of his people in Egypt and God had heard their cries and God was going to remember his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God was going to answer his, the prayer of these people on the basis of their affliction. And you see the same idea here. Because of their affliction, because of their groaning, God will arise. God will set them in the safety for which they longed. But verse 6 describes these people. It says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. The words of the Lord are in strong contrast to the falsehood, to the flattering lips, to the tongue speaking great things, that's described as belonging to the wicked in verses 2 and 3. The words of the Lord are pure. They are reliable. As silver was refined and gold was refined, the Bible said the words of the Lord are pure words. And as silver is tried in a furnace and refined seven times, God's word is tried and refined over and over. Now, it's not as if God doesn't say things perfectly the first time and has to get a second try. The point in mentioning seven times is seven is a perfect and complete number. And this indicates both perfection and uh, unsurpassed purification. The point is God's words are utterly reliable, complete, completely true, completely pure. And in verse 7, you, O Lord, will keep them. You will preserve him. From this generation forever. The psalm began begging God for help. Begging God to save. And verse 7 assures that he will. He faces an uphill battle in a wicked and perverse generation. But God will keep him. God will care for him. And in verse 8, the wicked strut about on every side. When vileness is exalted among the sons of men. The sons of men were mentioned in verse 1. The faithful disappear from among the sons of men in that particular verse. And now in verse 8, the text tells us 
when vileness is exalted, then among among the sons of men, the wicked strut about. And certainly that is true in the world in which we live because wickedness is promoted. Evil men are often viewed as something uh, that is worth the the that are people that are worthy of praise. One writer said on the basis of this psalm, the promises of God are always surrounded by the apparent triumph of the wicked. The world does not and never has looked like a place the Lord reigns. The belief in such an affirmation is pure faith in his word, which is described as being pure and tried in a furnace and refined seven times. As we live in a world, in a culture dedicated to self-sufficiency and self-fulfillment, we stand often in the minority. And we say, save, O Lord, for the godly man ceases. But God will preserve. God will guide. We have sought to ask in these studies, how does Jesus fulfill the picture of these various psalms? Well, there are several things that come to my attention. The godly man, in verse 1 is it, or, or the, the man who's uttering this prayer feels like the godly man has, has simply ceased to be, that he perishes from among the sons of men. Was Jesus ever abandoned and alone because he did the right thing? You remember how all his disciples leave him and, and flee away, and Jesus alone stands to suffer the reproach of the enemy. And Jesus was a victim of deceitful and flattering tongues. They came to Jesus seeking to flatter him in Matthew 22, verses 15 and 16, in Luke 20, verse 20. And they spoke falsehood against Jesus, making false charges from the mouths of false witnesses in Matthew 26, verses 59 and 60, and Luke 23, verses 1 and 2. Jesus, in his arrest, in his trial, he experienced all of these things. And just as these men proclaim their autonomy and self-sufficiency and state that, that, that our lips are our own, who is Lord over us? Remember how they said of Jesus, we don't want this man to reign over us. In Luke 19, in verse 14. In verse 7, you will preserve them from this generation forever. Jesus was rejected by the wicked people of this generation in Matthew 12, verse 41 and 42. In Luke 11, verses 30 
and 31. So there are several parallels between Jesus and the sufferer of Psalm 12. But I also want you to see that just as the Lord arises and sets him in safety in verse 5, so the Lord brought Jesus from the dead. He raised him from the dead and exalted him to his right hand. And the Lord will preserve the godly in that sense. It may be that we suffer hardship on earth. It may even be that we suffer death for his name. But the Lord will preserve the godly in the sense that he will give them victory over death, resurrection from the dead, and eternal life. Praise God for the victory in Jesus. Thank you for listening to our podcast.